Good morning, Community Grace and friends that are watching today. It's good to be back together today uh, in living rooms across the world. Uh, first, I want to say praise God for such a fantastic Holy Week last week and Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday last week. I want to say uh, that God was glorified in how well it went. And I just want to thank everybody who participated and uh, did all the work behind the scenes and then everybody who joined us as well. I want to say thank you and praise God for last week. Our text last week for the Easter sermon was uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, which was a great passage last week if you were here. Uh, it connected us to Jesus' death, and then it connected us to Jesus' resurrection. Therefore, we have been raised with Christ. And we're picking up right where we left off last week because last week we launched our new sermon series uh, that's going to take us verse by verse through the rest of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 and 4. We're picking up there today, and we'll be in chapter 3, verses 5 through 11 today. Over the next five weeks, we'll get right on through the amazing chapters, chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Colossians. One of the, the things that we that I just mentioned and that we talked about last week was dying with Christ and becoming alive with Christ, raising from the dead with Christ. The whole concept of dying with Christ uh, raised a, some conversation in my household over this last week. I've actually had this conversation with a number of, number of people over the years because the Bible says several times in different ways that we need to die to ourselves, die to ourselves. That's a little bit strange of a concept. We're not ultra familiar with that concept. Jesus said several times, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And what's a cross? But an instrument of death. So we're dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, and following me. There's a classic cartoon that many of us might be able to relate with a little bit more uh, on this Christian journey that we're on. Here it's on your screen. It's uh, two couples having a conversation here, and one lady says, well, I haven't actually died to sin, but I did feel kind of faint once. And maybe that's kind of where we are in our journey right now in, uh, in following Christ. But Jesus says, die to yourself. And we're going to explore this more today because this is exactly where the Apostle Paul goes next in our text as he writes this letter uh, to the young church in Colossae about 30 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead and the church was exploding all over the known world. This is God's Word and so it is written to people of all times and cultures forever who are believing and following Jesus Christ. So it's written to us, you and me, friends. So let me go back real quick and state the marvelous teaching that's in Colossians 1 and 2 uh, that's set up uh, where we are in the book right now. It establishes the foundation of what we're talking about today. Just real quick, Colossians 1 and 2, and you can go back and read these chapters. I encourage you to read through, and, and this is what you're going to see. They proclaim... This is who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. He is God in the flesh. He's always been and he always will be. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. And he is 
the only one who can reconcile you and me to God. Your only hope at being made right before the God of the universe is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. So he takes your lack of righteousness, your wickedness, he takes that from you and he gives you in exchange his righteousness, his life, our identity in him. This is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is proclaimed to everyone. Everyone. But then Paul, as we get into chapter 3, is going to narrow down the scope in chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, which we looked at last week. He says, if then or since then you have been raised with Christ. So now he's only talking to believers in Jesus who have been raised to new life in Christ. If that's you, then set your minds on the things that are above. Set your focus on the things that are above. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That was the text we looked at last last week. And now he's going to get into our response. What to do next. How we change. How we live our transformation, what it looks like, step by step. It's, this is where taking our position in Christ and we put it into practice. We take our position in, in Christ and we put it into practice, the practice of following Christ, the practice of putting off what you used to be, the old you, and putting on what God has made new. Here's why it's so necessary for you to get this, because if you don't, If you don't get this, what we're talking about today, then what you're going to do is you're going to keep running back to the law or this performance base where I have to do everything to make it right in my own power. Or you're going to run back to the sin that you have been freed from because there's comfort there. There's familiarity there. And and we don't want to run back to those things. We want to go forward where God is taking us as he's given you a new life. Now, anytime you're starting a change in life, and becoming a Christian is a radical change. I mean, it's a massive change in your life. It's everything. But anytime you're starting a change in your life, two questions that automatically arise are, where do I start, and what do I do? Where do I start, what do I do? I want to make this change in life. What do I do? And that's where we enter our text today. Where do we start And what do we do? And we arrive at today's text eager to learn how to put our faith into practice. We want to know God's expectation for us. What does he want from us? What do we do? How are we successful in this Christian life? How do we love him? How do we follow him? How do we please him? How can we live a better life? So Paul is going to guide us on living like the person that we are now, not the person that we used to be. It's a glorious thing. In the rest of chapter 3, Paul's going to look at some of the biggest areas of our lives. He's going to take us there. Our sexuality, our behaviors, our identity, and our relationships. Hey, that's over the course of the next few weeks. Tonight, we're going to get, today, we're going to get started in that right now. This week, it's out with the old. And next week, it'll be in with the new. So let's get started. If you have your sermon notes, 
they're great to help you follow along, but everything's going to be on the screen. And our first of two points today is we are made new, so put off the old you. We are made new, so put off the old you. Let's talk about the old you. Not only when sin entered the world did death enter the world. We talked about that that week, last week as well. Death entered the world when sin did, but something else did as well. When sin entered the world, every person inherits a fallen nature, a sin nature. All humans have natural, a nature, natural tendencies, inclinations, desires, and passions. We have this natural pull to do things that are opposed to God. And we are natural, naturally inclined to reject God. Okay? That's, that's just true. That's the way it is. That's what we are as human beings. We're pulled by the desires to do things that are destructive to us, that are in opposition to God, and that are destructive to other people and society as well. But yet, because we're prideful, we do them anyway. This is real. This is reality. But once we give our trust to Christ... Here's what, the, here's what God teaches us. He gives us a new life. He gives us a new nature. Okay, we have a, a, a new nature now as well. But the old nature isn't gone yet until glorification. That's heaven. That's when all of sin and our human nature and our sin nature and the, the flesh and all the other words that the Bible uses to describe that, that's taken away, not till we get to heaven. So in the meantime, we have conflicted natures. Okay? I don't know if you're, how familiar you are with the, the, these terms. This is what the Bible teaches plainly, but I know that you're familiar with a conflicted soul, all right? because we all are. In Galatians, Paul explains it this way, Galatians 5.17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. You want to do good? I mean, righteously good? The human nature is going to pull you away from that. You want to get back into some sin that you're used to being in? The, the spiritual nature is going to try to pull you out of that. They're conflicted natures. So what do we do? What do we do? And Paul starts teaching us. So here we go. Let's look at the text. Point A is we need to kill perversions of love. This is where Paul goes right to first, right to perversions of love. Okay, love is a big deal to God. Why? Because he is love. Because he's the creator of love. And we pervert it a lot. So Paul goes right to this topic that for many consumes us. And maybe this is where your battle rages the most. So he begins here. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All right, let's go back and look at each one of these. 
The first statement, catch this, we have a command to kill. We're actually commanded to kill. Now, not another person. All right, we're not commanded to kill people. We are commanded to put to death what is earthly in you. That's a word that means all the things that are that sin nature, that are worldly, that are opposed to God. Now, in other places, Paul's going to say, put off some things. Okay, but here he uses a stronger language. He says, kill it. Put it to death. Why does he, use, why does he speak in such strong language here? Right, here's a way to illustrate that. Okay, we're not as eager to pick up dead things. All right? Suppose you have a dead animal in your yard. All right, are you eager to go pick it up with your bare hands? I, I mean, not most of us. Okay, I'm not. What do you go, what do you go for to, to pick that, something like that up? A trash bag or something? I go to a shovel, okay, because I want to stay far away from that thing. And I pick it up and get rid of it. So this is why we need to kill those things. I mean, we're not just dancing around with them. We're, we're getting rid of them completely from our lives as we follow Christ. Let's talk about this. What does he, what does he say? He says three reasons are given for this in verses 5, 6, and 7. Okay, first, we need to kill perversions of love once we believe in Christ and have this new nature. Uh, let's see how he lists these out. First, the first reason is because they are sinful idols. They are sinful idols. Let's, let's look at his list here. Sexual immorality is first. All right, the original word here is porneia. Does that sound familiar? All right, porneia is an ancient word. It's used in Scripture and ancient literature to represent any kind of illicit sex. Okay, and illicit sex isn't, isn't new. It's been a huge pursuit and has caused huge problems ever since the beginning of humanity. It's a major area of our lives. But sexual immorality is honestly pretty simple. It's not complicated. From God's perspective, He designed sex. And from His design, sex is not a dirty thing. It's not gross. It's not embarrassing. It's not disgusting. It's God's idea. What do I mean? Think about it. He created Adam and Eve naked. He created Adam and Eve naked and then said, be fruitful and multiply. Well, how does that happen? All right, sex is how that happens. It's his design, and it's a beautiful thing. It's how God created it to be, but the scriptures tell us that sex, outside of the boundaries of what it was created for by God, can do an unbelievable amount of damage, both to our own souls and to others as well, and to societies. And so God builds parameters around sex, not to inhibit our joy, but to let us walk in the fullness of that joy. Outside his boundaries, the, his boundaries are within the marriage of a man and a woman. Outside his boundaries, there is a lot of pain and destruction. So Christian, where there is activity in you that goes outside of the bounds that God lovingly put into place, put those things to death. Next, Paul lists three areas that I'm going to combine. They are impurity, passion, and evil desire. Where sexual immorality is actions, these three are more related to thoughts. 
but they also pervert or distort God's goodness. Of course, thoughts are what leads to actions. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 29. He says, everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. He also says in Mark 7, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, and on and on. That's just a sample list. Out of the impurity of the heart, all these things come. So what is impurity? Impurity means you take something that's pure and good and pervert it. Okay, for example, take substances that grow in nature and we make drugs out of them, not for me- medicine, but uh, drugs for entertainment that will destroy our lives and society. Or food, for another example. Food was given us by God, and it's good. How do we pervert food? Well, along the way, we realize that food makes us feel really good, and we can kind of treat our pain and sadness with food. It gives us, it makes the pain go away for a little while. It's like a drug in that way. And we pervert it. That's a perversion, a distortion of something that God has made good. And, and the list we could be here all day listing example after example of things that God made good that we distort. That's called perverting it. And those are impure thoughts that lead us away from God. So you know the ones that you struggle with. So I want you to focus on those. What are those things that you struggle with that lead you away from God's goodness? Now you know what to do with them. You kill them. You put them to death. These are not for you anymore once you're in Christ. Every day, every day, Jesus said, take up your cross daily. And then Paul finishes this list with, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All right, covetousness, or another word for that is greed. Paul places that last in the list because this is the evil root from which all of the other ones spring up. Greed, selfishness. The Bible calls this selfish desire, greed, the source of all fights, the source of all lusts and sins. It's what, because we want what we want. That's greed. And that's why it's idolatry, because it's placing our selfish desires above God. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. But we have tons of idols. I hope you're getting this. It's valuable to know the root of everything that's wrong in this world. It's wanting our desires over God. That's idolatry. We are idolaters. And our human nature leads us there. We worship ourselves naturally. That's that's our reality that we have to know. So it takes some work to put it to death and live by the Spirit. And this this is what Paul is urging us to consider, is doing this work. Paul writes so that we know this and so that we will put in the hard work that's necessary to live a godly life, successful life. And next, we need to kill these perversions of love for the second reason, and that's because sin brings judgment. Verse 6 plainly says, 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And we see that in the world. And that's some big motivation, judgment. Okay, look, we're in an age where, uh, where of Christianity where people just don't talk about the wrath of God and the righteous judgment of God. You know, all our, the messages and the, and the songs and, and uh, our focus is on the love of God. It's just all about the love of God. Uh, I don't know of, of a subject that's more avoided than, than the wrath of God. And that's too bad because the wrath of God completes the picture of the beauty of God. Okay, let me explain. I had here, thinking of Easter, everybody likes the Easter Bunny Jesus, I like to call him, the Easter Bunny Jesus. That's the, that's the Jesus that says, hey, come over and sit on my lap, and I'll give you chocolate, <laughs> all right? So everybody likes that Jesus. Uh, but no one seems to ever talk about the reality that over and over and over, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you visibly see the wrath of God toward sin and toward rebellion against him. So this is reality that we have to come to understand, and then we'll see that it makes the beauty that, that completes the picture of God's beauty. Let me, let, me under, let me explain that. If God, the creator of all good, of all beauty, and all love, is not bothered by our sin, people defiling good, people hurting each other, people destroying other people and the world, if he's not bothered by that, then he's at best indifferent and doesn't care about the pain and the suffering in the world. But that's not true. Don't believe half-truths about God. His love is only half of the picture. His righteous judgment and his wrath against the sin and the evil in the world is the full picture of who God is. Now, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so that's our motivation, why to put those things to death. And to be loving to others is to warn people. Paul said that in chapter 2 of Colossians, that to be loving is to warn people about that. And being healthy ourselves is to apply this to our own lives. As Christians, we are delivered from hell. That's the ultimate wrath to come. We are already delivered from that. But God will pursue us like a loving father who disciplines his children, and we don't want that either, and we don't, we don't want to hurt our father either. Brothers and sisters, the call is clear. Kill these sins from your life. That's what we do next. And the third motivation that Paul gives us for doing this is from verse 7. It's because sin is a part of our past. Sin is a part of our past. Verse 7, in these two you once walked when you were living in them. It's part of our past, though. We have been redeemed. We have been transformed in the name of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. We have a new life and a new nature and a new calling. Why would we ever go back to what enslaved us, to what hurts us, to what ruins our relationship with God? Why should a new creature, a new creation, Act like an old one. When a new recruit joins the army, one of their first experiences is being issued a completely new set of clothing. It's called uniform. 
You can imagine what would happen if some raw recruit arrived to duty his first day in a pair of khaki pants, a beautifully laundered white shirt, and a bow tie. And he stood in formation. Picture him explaining to the drill sergeant, Well, you see, Sarge, I want to get used to my uniform gradually. I like my civilian clothes. Maybe in a year or two, I'll make the adjustment to this uniform. But in the meantime, you'll have to excuse my appearance. I'm trying to strike a happy medium between my old life and this new one. It doesn't work that way, does it? No, it does not. We put off the old you, and we put on the new you in Christ that he bought with his blood. We saw that with the perversions of love, and now we're going to see that same thing with expressions of hate. We're putting off the perversions of love. Now we're going to put off the expressions of hate. Go back to verse 7. In these two, in these you two once walked when you were living in them, but verse 8, in the first part of verse 9, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. God is not a God of unrighteous hate, and we are not to be people of unrighteous hate. So here's the next thing that where do we start? What do we do? We get this out of our lives. We need to be stop being people of unrighteous hate, period. But we can't acknowledge that that is very hard. Hate is deeply seated within us. So is pride. So let the Holy Spirit work deeply in your heart right now as we look at this scripture. He's going to do a great work in you right now. Let's look at these each so we know exactly what it is we're trying to destroy from our lives, to get out of our lives. First is anger. And this word signifies habitual anger. That's the kind that makes someone hard to live with, all right, because of frequent eruptions, maybe violent behavior, holding grudges. It's a way of life. That's anger. And then related is wrath. Wrath is similar. It means a hot temper, like a fire in straw, which flares up instantly and burns everything up. My wife, Sarah, has worked hard over the years at putting off this very thing. And over the years, her hard work has actually inspired me to, to realize I have some of the same things I need to work on. And we've both grown in this together. And I'm so proud of her victory in this area uh, and how she counsels others who are struggling with this very thing that she has wrestled with for quite some time. We want to recommend a book to you that was particularly healthy or helpful, and that is Pitching a Fit by Israel and Brooke Wayne. And uh, we'd love to, to uh, make sure you have a copy of that book and, and even talk with you through that if this is something that you struggle with. Our call is to put that off. Now that's, a, again, a daily dying to yourself, to that part of your nature, to become alive. It's taken us years to, of working on it to have victory, some victory. But we're not in it alone. Uh, you're, you've, you've been given the tools, the church, God's word, prayer, and other people to help walk you through that. So let's do that. 
Malice is the next thing Paul mentions, and this is a vicious nature, one that plans revenge or at least hopes for something bad to happen to somebody. There's no place in the Christian for that. None at all. None at all. So you've got to let that go. You've got to release that to God. And he'll, he'll remove that, that bitterness from you, and, and he'll release you of that so you can make him look beautiful when he does. And next, Paul addresses the habits of hateful words, slander, obscene talk. Don't lie to one another. Okay, if there's any anger or wrath or malice in your heart at all, one sign of that is that, is that they lead you to slander. That's talking badly about people. The Greek word translated slander here is blasphemia. Okay, when we use it towards talking to God, that's blasphemy. But here's the thing, how, why this is so severe, why it's so important to God. Because it's, it's blasphemy when, when you're slandering God. But God says the fact is that to slander people, to talk badly about people, is still blaspheming God because He created them. You get this? So there's no place in the Christian life for this. Now, God's full of grace along the way, and He's full of forgiveness along the way as we're growing. This is a, lo- this is a marathon, not a sprint. But this is what we're called to do. Put that off. Put that off. Ephesians 29 is one of my favorite verses because it's just so, so um, clear and so powerful. It takes this, this same concept all the way. Ephesians 4.29, good one to memorize. Let no corrupting talk or unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. None. But only such as good, such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So let me ask you, how much foul language and corrupting talk should ever come out of a Christian's mouth? How much? None. No is the word here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. When God says none, he means none. And even in this verse, we see something really that I love about the Bible, that I think is really cool about the Bible, that's really great of God to do, and that is the Bible never says don't do something or put something off without telling you what to put on or what to do instead that's better. God loves us. And so this is how he instructs us. The Bible's not just don't do this and all that. No, it's, it's love for us and clear instruction for us. So believe him and apply this. So even right here it says, but instead of corrupting talk, edify people, build people up in life. Can you imagine if every Christian in the world just spoke like that? Oh, man, this world would be a, a really sweet place. But that very thing right there is exactly what's demonstrated now in point two. And then again in all of next week's sermon. We're going we're gonna to talk about, we've talked about why to put things to death and to put things off. And we've talked about what things to put off and how and why it's so important. Now it's time to talk about putting on. This is great. We put off and now we put on. Point number two. We are made new. So, put on the new you. Let's explore this contrast. Things to put off to things to put on with the new you. My question is, why focus on putting on or 
our new you. Why should we focus on that? And Paul gives two reasons in the next couple of verses, and I want to point this out to you, how powerful they are for our lives. Two reasons why we should put on the new you. The first is because of our new position in Christ. Look closely at this text, the second part of verse 9 and then verse 10. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. God isn't just trying to improve your life. He has given you, given you an entirely new life. A lot of the times you'll hear someone say, God loves you just the way you are. Okay, and then they leave it at that. Now that's an incomplete statement. That's only half of the statement. Now, it's true that God loves you exactly the way you are. But if you just leave it at that, the, that implies, the implication is that you don't have to change. Okay, nothing could be further from the truth. That's not implied or taught anywhere in the Bible. He calls us to change for the good because he loves us, because it glorifies him, because it improves our lives, because it builds up the world. So the, listen to the, the full complete statement if you haven't heard this before or even if you have the complete saying is this god loves you just the way you are but he loves you too much to leave you there and then i would add based on this verse that we just read he wants you to be like jesus in the image of our creator jesus Put off the old, put on the new because of our new position, who we are in Christ. We're in Christ, Christ is in us, we have this new life, and he's got a whole new adventure for us. Finally, Paul adds an exclamation point to all of this in our last verse, verse 11. We are made new, so put on the new you because of our new partnership. In our final verse, we're moving from the individual you to the plural you, all of us together. And I love this. You're not in this alone. The new life that Jesus gives, we see here in this verse and another text in Scripture, the new identity that we have, the new life that he gives us, the new nature, it supersedes all the other divisions that the world tries to put us in, all the boxes and compartments and factions and divisions that the world tries to put us in so they can divide and conquer us, mostly. Okay, so we can blame each other and have hate towards each other. Watch what Jesus does instead. It's totally different, totally different. Verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, uncircumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. See what this means? Greeks and Jews generally hated each other because of their nationalistic pride. There is no advantage in Christ in being Hebrew or Anglo-Saxon or Hispanic or African. There's no nationalistic pride that makes a barrier among us anymore. We are putting that off. We're putting that hate and distrust and that division off in the body of Christ. 
And trust me, I, I hate saying that to an empty room. I would rather you all be here so we could celebrate the beautiful array of different people that God has called to be in just one local church, let alone the whole universal church, all the two million churches in the world. It's a beautiful thing. And we're not all there yet. We often hold grudges or, or have biases, look down on each other. But look at what, God's, look at what Paul says here. There's no, no Greek and Jew. That division's gone. Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian. There's now in Christ no division between different backgrounds is what that's saying. We are one in Christ. We can learn from each other as we work together and worship together. It's a beautiful thing. This is what Christ is doing in our lives. Slave or free. There's, no, there's to be no more prideful division in social classes. You go from extreme poor to extremely rich and everything in between, Christ has equalized us all because all of us have had to get our new life and our new identity and our salvation at the foot of the cross. He's brought us all there and lifted us all up together. Now we support and care for each other. And there's nothing in the world, there's no power in the world that does that like Christianity does, like Jesus does. We have the same Lord, we have the same eternity, we have the same, we're on the same team and we have the same mission to proclaim Jesus and to make disciples of all nations. So we do this together. We've looked today at we have this new life, who we are in Christ. He's made us alive. He's resurrected us with him. Where do I start and what do I do? And Paul has come right out swinging. And it's for our good and for God's glory. And for our next steps today, here's what I want to do. Usually I'll have something for you to write down. There's nothing to write down today. Instead, I just want you to think about how you're feeling about everything I've said. How are you feeling right now, be honest with yourself, about this admonition to kill these parts of your life, to put them off, and to put on Christ? Okay, how are you feeling about that right now? Now, as you're considering that, one of two things is going to happen. Okay, one, you're going, you're going to become convicted because we sin, because we have that human nature and we sin, and you're going to become convicted, and the Holy Spirit is going to rise up in you, and you're going to begin to say, I'm going to respond to Jesus right now. Here is my plan of attack. I'm going to be in the Word. This is how the Holy Spirit speaks to me. So I'm going to open it every day. I'm going to try every day. I'm going to make sure my family's in the Word every day. I'm going to be praying every day. All right? I am going to seek Jesus over my lustful and prideful sins. Not by myself, not by my own effort, but by prayer and the Holy Spirit and other resources and other people, and I'm going to get into accountability. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to build up the church like he's told me to be and be a part of the church. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to join a small group so I can be with God's people. And by the way, we have a brand new small group that's launching uh, in the next couple weeks. Yes, it will meet on Zoom for a while until we can all gather again. But if you want to jump in that and begin this journey with other people, sign up on that communication card link today. All right, we'll contact you and invite you. That's one way that you might be responding to this message from Scripture. 
The other thing might happen, though. The other way you could respond is this. You're going to realize right now that you really don't want Jesus. That you really don't want to change. You don't want to leave your sins and, and grow in Christ. You're hard to this, and you're unmoved to make any change in your life. Okay, and if that's you, I'll tell you why that's good news. Okay, I'll tell you why that's good news. Because you're probably lost and not saved by Jesus yet. Okay, if you have no desire to die to yourself at all and follow Christ in these ways, then you're not saved. You haven't been given the new life. And at least now you know it. So that's why it's good news if you're not moved by this. Now maybe you have been coming to church your whole life and so you think you're a Christian. Maybe you say, well, I believe in God and so I must be a Christian. I must be saved. Or, ah, man, yeah, there's that one time I, I prayed a prayer in, in youth camp or Sunday school or something and Nothing really changed, but I, that makes me a Christian, right? And the answer is no. Full repentance of yourself as God and your sin and faith in Jesus as your Savior. Calling out to Him, confessing to Him. That's what gives you new life. So maybe you're aware by this test in your life, if you're not moved and you're hardened to this, maybe you can become aware of your sin right now for the first time in your life and repent today. Forget the past and move on from it. Receive Jesus' gift of salvation and new life right now. And he will lead you to a transformed life, to new desires, to growth. And he's given you these steps to take. And we, Community Grace, have the opportunity to become the most beautiful church in Warsaw as we follow Christ in these ways together. Either way, respond the way Jesus is calling you today. We're here to help and to walk the walk together. Let's do this. Let me close in prayer. Lord, we give all this to you. We thank you so much for the wisdom of the word. You've given us a big book, and we've just looked at one little slice, one little slice that can change our lives and change our church and change our community change Warsaw and Kosciuszko County, and then everywhere the ripple effects go to the ends of the earth. If we're just repentant and faithful and don't sweep things under the rug, I pray that you'll expose sins and lusts and addictions and, and pain and loneliness and abuse, domestic violence. Lord, I pray that you'll expose those things and transform them. I pray that you'll give people right now that are in, in, in any kind of a mess in their lives, and that's all of us because we do have those conflicted natures. I pray that you'll give us a desire to meet you and start walking out of that, walking away from that. Lord, we pray for your grace and your mercy and your power to do those things today. And we pray in Jesus' powerful name, amen. Thank you, everybody.